Um, if you are new or visiting, uh, we have been doing a series through the book of Acts, and we're in Acts chapter 20 today. So if you have your print Bible, I encourage you to open that to Acts chapter 20. The verses also be on the screen. We're in the bottom half of the chapter. We're going to start at verse 17. Now, this passage today is pretty unique in the book of Acts. It records an amazing speech by the Apostle Paul. And as I was preparing this week, I was struck by how emotional this speech is, how epic this speech is. And that got me thinking about epic speeches in history. Now, the classic uh, is from Shakespeare, from King Henry V, or the Shakespeare's play, Henry V. Now, the context is King Henry is with a small band of English defenders. They are fighting the French. It's been a long, grueling battle, and they are losing. Uh, They are weary. They're discouraged. And at just the right moment, Henry rallies them with this classic and amazing speech. And I watched a lot of uh, Tom Hiddleston performing this, so I'm going to try for an English accent here. Once more, onto the breach, dear friends, once more, or close up the wall with our English dead. In peace, there's nothing so becomes a man as modest stillness and humility. But when the blast of war blows in our ears, then imitate the action of the tiger. Stiffen the sinews, summon up the blood, disguise fair nature with hard-favored rage. Thank you. Thank you. All right, (laughs) so that's a pretty well-known one, a very classic, and then if you were alive during the 1990s and you went to the movie theater and saw Braveheart, you were overwhelmed by the famous Braveheart speech of William Wallace, which apparently is completely hilariously historically inaccurate, but who cares, it was a great speech in a movie. So William Wallace shows up. And, uh, of course, uh, the clans were very scattered in that day. They are gathered for this battle. A lot of the Scots have never seen William Wallace face to face. And he comes riding in on his horse. And uh, there's all the rumble through the soldiers. Is that William Wallace? I think it is. And, And he rides to the front. And the guy says, that can't be William Wallace. William Wallace is seven feet tall. And he kind of laughs, and he rides up, and he says, I've heard, and he kills men by the hundreds. And he says, no, 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 I am William Wallace. And he says, I see a whole army of my countrymen here in defiance of tyranny. You've come to fight as free men, and free men you are. What will you do with that freedom? Will you fight? And they give this hilarious answer back. No, we will run, and we will live. (laughs) And then he gives these incredible, inspirational words. He says, I fight and you may die. Run and you'll live at least a while. And dying in your beds many years from now, would you be willing to trade all the days from this day to that for one chance, just one chance to come back here And tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom. And they got all excited and win the battle. It's very, very inspiring. Now, my personal favorite is actually from the third Lord of the Rings movie. And uh, Aragorn 
uh, is facing. He's in front of the evil black gates. There's masses of orcs around. It's just completely hopeless. And he sees his little band of, of soldiers that are left. And he gathers them and he says, Sons of Gondor, of Rohan, my brothers, I see in your eyes the same fear that would take the heart of me. A day may come when the courage of men fails, when we forsake our friends and break all bonds of fellowship. But it is not this day. An hour of wolves and shattered shields when the age of men comes crashing down. But it is not this day. This day we fight. By all that you hold dear on this good earth, I bid you stand, men of the West. And of course, they win the day. Very exciting. Now, you may be a teenager here listening this morning. You're saying, okay, Pastor Darren, all those uh, quotes are interesting in a war-type kind of situation. Well, that's not the world I live in. My biggest concerns are, are self-image, social media, overwhelming pressure to look a certain way, dress a certain way, face, uh, have a certain body image. Do you have any inspirational quotes about that? Good question. Yes, I do. I found one. And uh, one, probably one of the biggest up-and-coming pop stars in our world today is Olivia Rodrigo. And uh, my daughters love her. And uh, I have to admit, she has an amazing voice. She's a beautiful woman. But this is the inspiring quote she says. She says, social media is not always a true reflection of real life. And no place to judge your worth. Well done, Olivia Rodrigo. All right. So, inspiration, it can come from lots of sources, and amazingly enough, the Bible is the original source of inspiration. And this speech from the Apostle Paul pulls in all these amazing elements together. We're going to begin in verse 17. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the Roman province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and of faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prisons and hardship are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to complete the race and finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace." Amazing stuff. Now, the first theme we see in this part of the speech is faithfulness. Paul spent a lot of time in Ephesus. As we've been studying through the book of Acts, there was an initial period of three months where he came and, and his pattern, go to the Jewish synagogue first. Those were his people. Paul was Jewish. His heart broke for them. He wanted them to believe. He spent over three months with them in the synagogue. And then they got angry and kicked him out. Some believed, some rejected. And so he moved over to the Gentiles, to the non-Jews. And it says he spent over two years 
in the public lecture hall of Tyrannus, right there in the center of the city. And then it gets a little bit vague, but so scholars kind of tally up all the time, and they figure it was no less than probably three years that Paul was in the city of Ephesus. And Paul grew really, really close to the church during that time, and especially the group of elders and leaders in the church. And so as Paul is sailing down to Jerusalem, he sends word and he asks for this elders, the leaders of the church in Ephesus, to travel on foot and to meet at this port of Miletus. And so Paul meets them. And he says, he tells these elders, he says, I serve the Lord with great humility and with tears in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know, Paul used his brilliant mind. For three months, he reasoned with the Jewish people and he showed them from the first half of the Bible, scripture after scripture after scripture, showing that it was a prophecy that Jesus fulfilled. He truly is the Messiah. This is the one we have been waiting for as Jews. And some did believe. Some were convinced the Holy Spirit used Paul's incredible, brilliant mind. And then when they got angry and kicked him out and he went over to the Gentiles, Paul had different intellectual challenges. He had to deal with the culture that was all around him. He had to deal with Greek philosophy. He had to deal with the worship of Artemis. As we looked a few weeks ago, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world was the big temple in Ephesus, the temple of Artemis of the Ephesians. So Paul had a lot of intellectual challenge. He used his head. Paul wasn't just stuck in his head. He used his heart as well. I love that. He says, I serve the Lord with great humility and with tears in the midst of that severe testing. Paul was literally crying himself to sleep at night on his pillow in agony, wanting the Jews and the non-Jews in that city to come to faith. And all of those prayers, all of that heartfelt emotion, God honored it. That church in Ephesus would go on to be an incredibly strong center of the Christian faith and would continue to send out missionaries all over the world. All right, so Paul is faithful in this proclamation day after day, week after week, month after month. If you think of it in emojis, uh, Paul has probably been faithful to Jesus with his head, his heart, and his voice, those three aspects. And then when we jump down to verses 33 to 35, I want to read these. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs, the needs of my companions. And everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul was really, really concerned that people would see that he wasn't there to profit somehow off preaching of the gospel. This wasn't sort of some weird get-rich-quick scheme. And Paul says, I've not coveted anything you own. Your gold, your silver, your clothing, all those kind of things. Paul says, I worked with my own hands. We know that Paul had a trade. He, he was a tent maker. He worked hard with his own hands. He's, he gave his own support. And it was part of his testimony because he wanted people to know 
and understand that he was sincere. Again, in emojis, I found, who knew? There was a, like, not coveting emoji and a hard work emoji. And I think about when I was reading this, I thought, you know what? Paul, in a real simple way, has kind of given us five really clear aspects of what it means to follow Jesus. We're supposed to follow Jesus with our head. We're supposed to follow Jesus with our heart, our voice, our hard work. And we aren't supposed to covet. We aren't supposed to look around and covet what other people had. We're meant to be content. Now that's a pretty solid example Paul has given for us. But here's what we can do wrong. We can read that list of five things and say, good, got the list, ready to start, and I'm going to work really hard at this. Because the problem with that is you can try to do those five really good, moral, excellent things, and you will do it for a while. But at some point, you'll peter out, you'll power out, you won't be able to keep it going. There will inevitably moments when you do things that are stupid. You're trying to use your head, but it fails you. You go through a season maybe where you're emotionally burnt out. Your heart just doesn't care. It may have times when you should speak up. You should choose, use your voice in a social setting, but you couldn't get the words out. You were too worried what other people might say. You might be in a group of people and the skeptical person says, oh yeah, pastors and the church, they're just in it for the money. They always have been. You can remind them of the Apostle Paul. You can also remind them that your current pastor says, this is a get-rich-quick scheme. It is not working very well. Now, here's the crucial part, though. Paul didn't just say all of this to get the elders of the church in Ephesus to go back home, get the church to try really, really hard to be good, moral people. Throughout all of his writings, Paul stresses over and over and over. He says, Christ lives in us, empowering us to choose the good, and say no to the bad. Colossians 1.29 To this end I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. 2 Corinthians 12.9 But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Philippians 4.13, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And then Paul actually would write a letter back to this church in Ephesus, and he would say exactly the same thing. Ephesians 1.19 and 20, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. And he seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. Amazing. A huge theme throughout all of Paul's writings. So what am I saying today? I want us to be faithful like Paul. I want us to be faithful in those five ways with our head, our heart, our voice, our hard work, not to covet. But be faithful not in our own strength, not in our own effort alone but rather trying hard in the strength that Christ gives. All right, we're going to pick it up 
in verse 22. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race, complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. What a deep and amazing place of discipleship God brought Paul to. What a powerful statement in Acts 20, 24, where he says, I consider my life worth nothing. My only aim is to finish the race, complete the task. You know, the longer I live and the more people I encounter who live out of their convictions, the more admiration I have for them. Our world is tilted the other way with tons of people that don't live out of convictions. There was a great English actor in the 1800s. His name was William McCready. And he was extremely adept at uh, doing Shakespearean plays and the main roles. He did Macbeth, King Lear, Henry V, Othello, lots of Shakespeare plays. And he became very famous throughout England and in kind of the English-speaking world. And then European playwrights were, were taking notice and they would write plays and he would get those parts and he became famous on mainland Europe. And at one point he became so famous he actually came to America and did a tour. One time he had come off stage, he had had a good run in London and he was at this after party for the play and he got to meet uh, a well-known preacher in London. And the preacher says to him, he says, William McCready, I wish you could explain to me something. And he says, well, what is it? I don't think I could tell a preacher anything. And he says, what is the reason for the difference between you and me? You are appearing before crowds night after night with fiction. And the crowds come wherever you go. He says, I'm preaching the essential and unchangeable truth. And I'm getting zero crowds at all. And William McCready answered that pastor and he looked at him and he said, it's really quite simple, sir. I can tell you the difference between us. I present my fiction as though it were truth. You present your truth as though it were a fiction. What a powerful lesson. And I think William McCready would have looked at the Apostle Paul and had a lot of admiration, admiration for him. Because Paul was a, a man who lived out those rock-solid convictions, willing to even give up his own life. So how about you and I? Here this morning, maybe listening online, when people look at your life, when people interact with you, when they talk with you, do they sense that Jesus is a fiction in your life or a truth? Do they see passion in your walk for Christ? Do they see convictions? What if you're standing in a group of people and 
they begin to mock the name of Jesus. You stand up, do you say anything? Maybe you're with a group of coworkers, and they're talking about doing some things that maybe just aren't quite on. They're a little bit shady, but they have ways of justifying it. Do you join in? Do you stand up? Do you say something? You see, I believe Jesus calls us as his followers to live with conviction. There's things we won't compromise on. And the great result is that it gives a person courage to face the future. Those convictions were so much a part of Paul's heart that he could walk even to death in Rome eventually. He knew what was awaiting him, and yet he chose it. All right, we come to the end of this inspiring speech. We're going to pick it up in verse 28. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he brought with his, bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you, will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance amongst all those who are sanctified. Amazing. Paul has invested years in this church in Ephesus, become close to the people, close to these church leaders. Paul does not want to see this church go down. He always wants to see it decline, wander off track, or become absorbed into the culture around them. Paul's injunction to them is great. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. You know, Jesus is the one who gave his own life to establish the church. Jesus the ultimate good shepherd. Every church leader, every pastor down through history, we're simply under-shepherds. But when a pastor is conscious of his place as an under-shepherd directing people to the great shepherd, they remain in a good place. It prevents a pastor from kind of slipping into despair, which was pretty easy during COVID, I have to admit. Uh, and it, it stops a pastor or a church leader from becoming overly prideful. And then Paul gives this amazing warning. He says, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. You know what? That was true in the first century. It's proved to be extremely true in the 21st century. Competing religions, cults, philosophies, the general mood of culture, all seek to undercut, attempt to pervert the message of the gospel. Well, Paul says, church leaders, listen up. You are stewards of the greatest message the world has ever known. Take the job seriously. I don't think it's any mistake that Paul's most concise and powerful summary of the gospel in it was actually written to this church in Ephesus. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. As I've said many times, those verses, it's so beautiful because it says we aren't saved by good works, but we are absolutely saved for 
good works. And what does it mean when we are saved, we aren't saved by good works? That means there's no guilt, there's no stress, there's no endless trying to please God through our efforts. That's done in Christ. It's finished, it's complete. And when it says we are saved for good works, that's giving us purpose, telling us that we are vital to God's mission in this world. Finally, I love the real genuine emotion that we see from Paul and these church leaders. Love that scene where they're all gathered, they kneel down, they, they embrace, and it says they wept. And they pray for him. It's a good, a good thing to show that kind of emotion. You know, Paul has laid out an amazing example for us in this epic speech, in these epic words here in Acts 20. He's shown us a life of faithfulness, keeping our hearts, our voices, our heads, our hard work, and our greed minimized. A life of faithfulness, not done in our strength, but in the power of his indwelling presence. Paul's also shown us the power of living with convictions. Finally, we've heard these powerful warnings and his genuine love and emotion for the church in Ephesus. And I think it's okay for us to read that Paul would care all the way down through the centuries to this old church here in Ladysmith. I think we can definitely agree this is an unforgettable epic speech these, that Paul gave. But I pray today that the Holy Spirit of God would take these words and he wouldn't just leave them as words on a page, but that he'd put them inside of our hearts because Christ truly wants you and I to live epic and inspired lives each and every day. Amen?